Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. And now, the list of things that you can buy at the Chicago Reader store at chicagoreader.com. Things to wear like Chicago Reader hats, t-shirts, bandanas, and face masks. Things for your daily life like the Chicago Reader camping mug, Chicago Reader tote bags, and a Chicago Reader reporter's notebook. Things for you to read like our Reader recipes, the Chicago Reader 420 Companion, our Chicago Reader Best of book series from journalists Maya Dukmasova, Mike Sula, Ben Jarofsky, and Lior Galil, the Chicago Reader coloring book, and the Chicago Reader stay home puzzle. Find the Chicago Reader store at chicagoreader.com and show your support for the nation's first free weekly news paper since 1971. Bonus time at the Ben Jarofsky Show. As I speak, it's Wednesday, September 27th, 2023. Here's a headline. It was in my beloved Brightman, the Chicago Sun-Times, home delivered every day. Uh, and um, <laughs> this one will actually connect uh, in an indirect way with just uh, uh, conversation I'm going to have with my distinguished guest who's patiently waiting. Uh, so this is a headline on the sports section, uh, and it had to do with the Bears-Kansas uh, City game uh, on Sunday. Uh, we're not going to talk about the Bears in this one in particular, though, ladies and gentlemen. We're going to talk about like a cultural aspect of it. Uh, so the Sun-Times uh, had an article, and um, uh, the headline of which is Twi- Swift Lures Women to Bears Telecast. Uh, and to me, this illustrates the utter madness in America today. Uh, so follow me, this, ladies and gentlemen. There was a football game between the Chicago Bears and the Kansas City uh, Chiefs uh, on Sunday. Uh, anytime you want to change your name, Kansas City, feel free to do. It's really insulting. Uh, anyway, neither here nor there. Uh, and uh, Taylor Swift was at the game. Uh, for those of my political lefty junkie fans who don't know who Taylor Swift is, and there's some of you out there who might know, you know, uh, uh, you only read uh, what you see in the Tribune or WBEZ. Uh, so she is perhaps one of the two most popular pop singers uh, in America today. Uh, my distinguished guests will, I'm sure, have more detail on that. Like, who is more popular, Beyonce or Taylor Swift, in terms of records sold or uh, concerts sold out, et cetera, et cetera. But she's extremely, exceedingly popular. She drives culture. When she says register to vote, people register to vote. Uh, when she has a concert in uh, at Soldier Field, thousands and thousands of her fans rush to Chicago, and the newspapers of Chicago proclaim it a great day for the city of Chicago, that so many of her fans are in the city of Chicago. Tremendous influence. She was at the game because, I don't know, she has a friend, she's a friend, maybe she's dating, who knows? My distinguished guest may have more details on that. Uh, One of the players for the Kansas City Chiefs. Just her presence at the game. She wasn't playing the game. She wasn't coaching the game. She was merely a fan, a spectator at the game. Her mere presence occasionally displayed on the TV monitors, occasionally, okay? That alone drew more women to the, more women turned on their TV sets to watch this football game because Taylor Swift was in a box suite. She wasn't playing. She wasn't coaching. She wasn't commenting. I'm like, we have lost our minds. If you weren't going to watch the football game to begin with, why are you tuning in just to see like a three-second clip of Taylor Swift? It makes no sense. Women of America, you're smarter than this. All right, sorry. I didn't mean to get all emotional. All right, without 
uh, further ado, I'm going to ask my distinguished guest to introduce herself, and then she's going to take the deep dive on this subject. Distinguished guest, introduce yourself. Hi, I'm Ramana Hussein. I'm a member of the Sun-Times editorial board and a monthly columnist at the newspaper. Yes, uh, and uh, I believe you're the author of at least two columns uh, 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 about Taylor Swift and her impact. Definitely, if, I may be confusing a column with some of the commentary you've offered on the show many times as you try to explain to me the significance of Taylor Swift uh, in uh, in a way that I even I would comprehend it. I think I start to understand what you've been trying to get me to understand, Ramana, when I saw this article in today's paper that more women tuned into a football game merely because she was in a luxury box watching the game. Help me. Help me. What's going on? Why would someone tune into a football game that they don't care about just to see a woman like for three seconds at a time? Go ahead. Well, to be fair, first of all, I have um, watched a football game just to watch the halftime show because I don't really care about the actual game. But, okay, I guess I guess first of all, I'm going to say that I personally don't like football. And I think a lot of my female friends don't like football. But I don't want to generalize that all women don't like football, even though I'd like to think that because... My husband, your friend, Mick Dumpke, always tells me that he, he his women in his family love college football. And I go, OK, that's like three people or four people. But that's about it. But um, no, but jokes aside, um, there are women who do like football, but a lot of women don't like football and a lot of women do like Taylor Swift. So that is the only logical reason I could think. I guess if there was a celebrity that I really liked. And I found out that, but my question is, so they, I think they knew that, you know, Taylor Swift is dating this player or at least suspected or not suspected, or is like the rumor to be dating this guy. And so they probably knew there was a chance that she was going to be there. So they turned on the TV. I guess if I knew like a celebrity that I liked was like seeing someone on a sports team and I thought that there were, there was a chance that they were going to be there, maybe I would turn it on, but I'm thinking a lot of these most of these people who turn on the game were probably like really big Swifties. And as you and I know, I've only mentioned Taylor Swift once in my column, and that was my last column. I've talked to you about Taylor Swift and the phenomena. I'm definitely over the age of who her audience is, but there are people my age who like love her. And I have friends whose daughters like swear by her. There are some musicians that are totally like not in, you know, they're not, really catered towards people who are Gen Xers. And I kind of get why they're famous. I don't get why Taylor Swift is necessarily famous because I think she's talented, but I don't think her songs are really that catchy. Like, do you, do you know any of her songs? Like I know some of her songs, but only because I have, I have 11 year old nieces who who grow out of Taylor Swift and they used to sing her songs when they were younger. So I kind of know a little bit about, but she has this appeal and which has to do with my column a little that I talked about. She has this appeal where wherever she shows up, whatever she does makes news. Um, I mentioned this in my column when she was at the um, VMA Awards for MTV a few weeks back. There was one camera person whose job it was to just focus on her throughout the whole night. Like, don't focus on anything else just to get her reactions to the performances, to the reactions, to the winners of the different um, categories. So I'm telling you, like, this is a moneymaker for, you know, news organizations because they know that there's this craze with Taylor Swift. And so, you know, those of us, she's been in the music business for a long time. I want to say her first album came out when she was like a late teenager. She's in her early 30s now. She's still very young. So she's been out there for a while. I don't even follow Taylor Swift And I know all the people she dated. I know the songs she wrote about the men she dated. You know what I mean? Like, I don't even follow football. And I found out that she was dating. There was the rumors that she was dating an NFL star. And I don't know anything about this player. But, you know, everybody's like, and then, you know, then that became news. So even if she's suspected of dating someone, that makes headline news. Like, I follow pop culture and pop culture news. So 
it's like there's a chance that I might run into Taylor Swift news, but it's not something I'm seeking. I'm so I'm someone who's not even seeking Taylor Swift news, and I find out about these things. It's just like it's in your face all the time. So even if you're trying to avoid it, like someone like me who does follow pop culture, I'm not really looking for Taylor Swift news. But there's always like whatever she does, it's going to make news. And uh, you know she's been making news for a while. Do you remember Kanye when uh, there was an MTV Awards and you know? And she won uh, an award and then he grabbed it from her <laughs> and he said that Beyonce deserved it. And that created a like whole hullabaloo. And she was even she was famous at that time. But I think if that happened today, the dynamics of what we know about Kanye today and Taylor Swift today, I think the discussions would be totally different than they were at that time. So Taylor Swift fans are like diehard. So I, I, I'm just thinking they all turned on the TV when they know that she's dating this person and you know i have a friend i have to tell you i have a friend who a family friend who was at the game and it wasn't in chicago right and so he was at the game and he was just his facebook status was like yeah i'm here to see taylor swift (laughs) but i'm just saying like everybody knew she was at the game you know it was in it was in the sports section the next day so it's something that you know everybody was following all right uh so a couple things i have to uh respond to uh, number one, I'm very hesitant to do this because every time I do this, I'm wrong and Romana's right. And then shortly after the show, the text comes in from Romana proving uh, <laughs> how wrong I am and how right she is. Uh, and it could be a little damaging to one's ego to be constantly wrong on these matters uh, because her knowledge, I have to admit, I think I'm pretty good with pop culture, but Romana's got me beat. But I'm pretty proud of my co- pop culture. So my memory, it was a Grammy, uh, not the MTV that Kanye snatched. Uh, yeah, yeah, you might be, you might be right about that. Wow. But I, I, I we'll have to, we'll have to, we'll look have that to up. look that up. But just that's a, a side point. I, I was watching it, and that's why I think it's Grammy because uh, Grammys are a big thing in our house. Even though I don't know any of the music, but. Just like fashion is really, I know it's funny for coming from me, the way I dress, but fashion's a big thing in my house. The way people look is a big thing in our house. There's, it's like always been the dinner in front of the TV, Grammy night, Oscar night. It's a big deal uh, in our house. And I just have a strong memory of, of, of Kanye West doing that, going, this man is out of his mind. Uh, now, the other point I have to say, I completely understand the fact that some people, who don't like football, but love entertainment, would tune into a halftime show to see the halftime entertainment. I I know my own family. There's a several people, my wife included, who don't care about football, but they expect me to call them when the first half is over, so I could tell them, okay, you you can watch the halftime show. Uh, because the halftime show, Rihanna's coming on, you know, whoever the halftime show, Beyonce, whatever. Uh, and then they'll watch, thank you, and they'll watch. But to me, is a big difference between tuning into a halftime show, which is like a 15 minute mini concert, and just watching a TV in the hopes that every, I don't know, 15 minutes, you'll get a three second view of Taylor Swift in a luxury box. That's just. I had to make that distinction. Yeah, yeah. It's definitely a distinction. And I have to tell you, while you were talking, I Googled uh, Kanye and Taylor Swift, and it was the MTV Video Music Awards. So, Damn! Yeah, I was correct. It was was saying something about uh, (laughs) Taylor Swift kind of made fun of that um, uh, infamous stage interruption. And it says, at the 2009 MTV Video Music Awards. So wow. um, I was watching I was MTV. <laughs> it's embarrassing. Afterwards, I just Googled it. But um, yeah, I, I see what you're saying. But if you're a fan, like I was telling um, I was telling people like I have like family friends and their daughters love Taylor Swift. And I asked them how they felt about the concert and like what they thought. And they were like over the moon. And, you know, I kind of made fun of them. You know, I, I you know, they didn't they, they didn't take it that seriously. I kind of just laugh and I go, why do you like her? She's not that good. And they're like, oh, my God, the concert. One of my friends uh, who lives in Texas told me that her daughter said the concert was life changing. Her daughter's 17. So I was like, OK, I can understand. By the, but there's adults 
like there's adults in their 30s and 40s who like are so enamored by her and it's 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 pretty interesting and and i mean it's not just it's not just women there's a lot of men who like her too um but it is a mostly like female you know a lot of um young women and girls like love taylor swift and 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 sometimes i guess there's things that you know it's just like I'm too old to get it, but I just don't think her songs are that catchy. And it's like unless I go out of my way to listen to something, I don't know any of her songs. And so I'm probably too old, but I still kind of pay attention to music. So I don't know. She just she's just very popular, and a lot of people. I I ask a lot of young women like why they like Taylor Swift, and they just think that she speaks to them, like her her lyrics speak to them. So you know to each of their own, but I, I don't get it. And it, I'm probably never going to get it, but I'm trying to think that if I was 17, 18, um, when I was, uh, I loved the police. They were my favorite band, like in the eighties when I was like 12 or 13, I, 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 I think Sting can be pretentious, but I, if, if Sting like showed up at a Cubs game, well, he actually did show up at a Cubs game. I was at once. He ended up singing the seventh inning stretch and I was laughing. It was really funny. You have to le- read the lyrics of uh, "Take Me Out to the Ball Game" because you know he's British. But I was pretty excited about that. But yeah, if I if I was seventeen and I found out a celebrity that I really liked was going to show up somewhere, I might I, I probably would have turned down the game too. So I'll get I I I don't get it. But there's going to be excessive coverage like every single Kansas City Chiefs game until she breaks up with this guy. If, she, if they're going everything. out at all. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Uh, exactly. And his name is so, Travis Kelsey, uh, by the way. Yeah. Um, yeah. All right. Uh, so, by the way, and I, before I go, I'm I'm with you on this. I'm not a hater. Uh, God bless every Taylor Swift fan out there. I, I'm, just, I'm just not into it, you know, her music. But God bless you, man. You like it. Some of the stuff I listen to, I'm embarrassed to admit. And you guys would make fun of me, all you Taylor Swift fans, if you were, like, listening to the what I listen to when I'm doing the dishes at night. So uh, no hate for uh, Taylor Swift fans uh, who love her music. Just, mm-hmm. wow, it's watching watching a game because she's on her. All right, let's tie this to journalism, which is we have three topics uh, that will be on our agenda. Uh, one will be Taylor Swift uh, because uh, your column that you uh, mentioned was uh, highlighted the fact that so I think it was USA Today uh, – hired someone to be a Taylor Swift correspondent. Uh, and then they hired someone. I think they had hired or were planning to hire someone to be a Beyonce correspondent. Uh, and clearly journalism is searching. Mainstream journalism is really searching for a way to get a hook uh, into younger readers uh, to try to make them think that journalism is relevant to them. It's something that kind of hurts me as an old timer who's been reading newspapers since the 60s, but that's the reality of where we're at. So your general thoughts about USA hiring a correspondent to cover Taylor Swift in the hopes that that will get younger people to start reading newspapers. Yeah, so Gannett, um, which owns USA Today, said that they and the Tennessean are looking for a full-time Taylor Swift Um, reporter. And they put that um, job posting up um, on a Tuesday or a Monday, I think. And then literally a day after uh, they posted uh, something about them wanting a Beyonce reporter too. And uh, they're, they like stress that it can't be a fan, but I mean, who else but a fan would be doing this kind of coverage? Like it's like, it's a pretty intense coverage. Like they said, it requires international travel and, um, you know, there's, it's one thing to have journalists who are specifically covering Taylor Swift and Beyonce. For me, it's offensive as a journalist because we, as we're talking, you know, there's so much coverage of Taylor Swift, even without an actual Taylor Swift beat reporter. I mean, I don't even follow the Bears that extensively. And just from what other people were telling me, I know that she was at the game earlier in the week. Like I didn't like we were talking about then, like I don't need to have a Taylor Swift reporter tell me that. Like there's just so much coverage on her and Beyonce too. And I, I like Beyonce. Like I get why people like her music. I won't say that I'm a diehard fan, but if you told me to pick between the two, I would pick Beyonce. Um, I think, I think she's just a lot more cooler and talented. So uh, I'm just more of a fan of Beyonce, but I, 
I just, I think it's a little like another thing that's offensive, I guess, um, to a lot of reporters and a lot of reporters at USA Today, um, what, who I saw tweeting, is that, you know, a reminder that about a year ago, they laid off like hundreds of people and hundreds of reporters. So there's a lot of communities that aren't getting the coverage that they should be getting. And, you know, a lot of people don't realize, like, you know, a lot of people who hate you know, they say they hate journalists or they hate newspapers, but it's like the more journalists you have, the better it is for democracy. And if our news is just, you know, when I was talking to some of the journalism professors, they're like, yeah, they get the fact that, you know, you need to make money, you need to get people to come and read these stories. But the fact that you're putting these jobs at the expense of other jobs, like investigative reporters, People who cover meetings, which, yes, they're boring, but they at the end of the day, they amount to something. You know, these stories um, that we cover day in and day out really tell a story about, you know, how a city's working, some of the corruption that's out there. And, you know, it's like you have to find that balance. And what a lot of reporters are finding is that balance is being tipped over by profits. And that's all people are looking at now. And, um, you know, you started off in journalism a little before me, but when I started off in journalism, like there's people younger than me. And so they're, they're, they're used to the like social media. Like when I started off in journalism, there was like, nobody put this emphasis on social media. The internet was there, but nobody really, a lot of the old timers didn't really think the internet was going to be something that, you know, was going to be there forever. And then once they, you know, so they kind of ignored you know, being online, having an online presence for a long, long, long time. They thought this was all a fad. And then all of a sudden they realized that, you know, newspapers are losing revenue. You know, ads don't matter anymore. Um, Then they started going the other way where it's like, okay, let's put something online. Everybody's going to read this. Everybody's going to click that. And I get that. It's important to get clicks. But that shouldn't be the only focus. And I think that's what bothered a lot of people about the USA Today hires is that this is at the expense of other journalists and other other reporters who have been covering these important issues. And one of the things that I noted um, in the Taylor Swift, and I'm sure it's with Beyonce, too, is that international travel is required. I mean, it's been like at least 15, 20 years since most of these like bigger newsrooms have cut their foreign bureaus. And so that really harms the way that we look at the world. Like, you know, now it's like international coverage. There already were different questions about how we cover parts of the world. Um, There was a lot of like criticism of how we cover parts of the world. But now it's like we're not even getting any information about parts of the world unless it's like a terrible disaster like the earthquake in Morocco or the floods in Yemen. And a lot of these people, like instead of being humanized, it just becomes statistics. And, you know, have instead of having more reporters overseas, we have like nobody overseas except for like wire services and things like that. So, you know, journalism is already kind of faltering. And, you know, I, I do I do like I love arts reporting. I mean, Ben, we're talking about my love of pop culture. I like the pop culture reporting. I I think it's a shame that even the Sun-Times, like our features department has shrunk. I, I, I think that's an important part of the newspaper. And I think it's an important part of the news. But just because something's popular, it shouldn't take over or be placed at the expense of other journalism that is very important and that is necessary for our newsrooms to thrive. And you know, news that represents who we are. You know, a lot of people like, you know, I do think journalism has to change. Like, I don't think the way we cover things is always necessary, right? But the core of journalism is still very important about who we are as um, professionals. We're watchdogs of of the community. I'm not saying that we're all heroes or anything like that, but this is what we do as journalists, ask tough, tough questions. And we're not there just to be like a fanboy or a fangirl of a certain star, you know? So I think, I, I think there, it's a lot of good questions. I think, I think there needs to be a balance. And I think that balance is not being adhered to. And that's one of the dangers that we're seeing in journalism today. That's a great riff. Uh, and um, I'm going to, uh, 
do a tangent into the next item on my uh, journalistic agenda, but I'm going to say thank Romana for being so kind. Uh, Romana said uh, that, Ben, you started off a little before I did in journalism. I just want to point out to people that Romana was six when I started in this game of journalism, okay? So it was really sweet of her to say uh, I started off a little before she did. You were six, okay? You were playing with dolls in Lincolnwood or Rogers Park, wherever you lived at the time. Lincolnwood okay. by six. Okay. All right. Anyway, neither here nor there, but I just took a special delight in that. Um, that was a great riff. And I noted something at the top that you kind of came back to in the notion of being uh, a fanboy. And you, uh, and USA Today said they like, like they were kind of justifying the uh, Taylor Swift beat. You can't be a fan, which is utterly ridiculous because only a fan would want this beat to a certain degree. Uh, I am now going to tie it to uh, Jan Wenner, who is the former publisher of Rolling Stone. Follow me in this, ladies and gentlemen. Rolling Stone is a magazine, and I know a lot of my baby boomer listeners out there are going to be irritated with what I'm about to say. Rolling Stone as a magazine was just straight up hype for rock and roll. It was just one puff piece after another to promote Mick Jagger, Bob Dylan, Bruce Springsteen, all your little lame rock stars that you guys, baby boomers, love. And leading the charge, the biggest fanboy of them all was Jan Wenner, who was the publisher of Rolling Stone, created Rolling Stone, got fabulously wealthy by creating Rolling Stone. Do a suck-up interview with John Lennon, Bob Dylan, Bruce Springsteen, you name it, Romana. A bigger suck-up interview than anybody has ever done with Taylor Swift or Beyonce. And it would act like this was great journalism, enlightening conversation when, when it was just, oh, please, Mick Jagger, tell me what a wonderful guy you are one more time. And baby boomers are buying it up by the boxes full just total suck up journalism and somehow or other he gets to act like he's a real journalist just published a collection of his essays that only <laughs> the you gotta be brain dead to buy this collection of hyped up interview with gas bags just like stroking each other Romana and not only does he have this collection, which he calls the masters, and it's all white people, all white men. And he's asked about it. And he essentially says that black people can't articulate like the philosophy or role of rock and roll. They, and women can't either. I'm like, dude, this genre of music, that you milked to make a fortune sucking up to these rock stars all these years, promoting all these rock stars in a way that even USA Today won't do for Taylor Swift. It, it is a form of music that black people created. You owe every nickel you made to black people, and yet you disparage them. Why does Jan Wenner? And Rolling Stone, in your humble opinion, get away with suck up fanboy journalism, and yet there's supposed to be a higher we're going to hold uh, journalists to a higher standard to cover uh, Taylor Swift. Help me understand this, Romana. Go. Well, I can't help you understand it completely, but it's just an example of our larger culture that places value on certain people and diminishes, you know, the contribution of like many parts of American culture of other groups, you know, and, and we know that black people in this country have had, you know, all that are like all the things that they created, um, you know, as part of culture. I mean, we still have cultural appropriation today, right? Like there's so many things that, you know, and as, as I grew older, especially with music, I didn't know that there were like guitar riffs that were taken from like blue singers or Chuck Berry. Like I never knew surfing USA was a Chuck Berry ripoff until I got older because, you know, this is what we were introduced to. We were introduced to like, you know, the beach boys. And then I'm like listening to it. And then I got older and then you find out that there was all these black singers that these white singers ripped off from. Now I have to tell you, I was a roll. I was a big Rolling Stone subscriber in my early twenties. 
And then at some point, I felt like the magazine was very bro-like. And I was like, I don't... And I didn't have the language for it then, but I just didn't really like the magazine anymore. And I stopped reading it. And I have to tell you also, Ben, I admit a lot of those uh, boomers, stars that you mentioned that Jan Wenner interviewed, I am a fan of. I love the Beatles. And I like Bruce Springsteen. I've always liked the Beatles better than the Stones. I'm just always going to be a Beatles person. But... I also acknowledge that there are so many talented musicians who have been overlooked or even the ones who are who haven't been overlooked, who are famous. It's like you really don't think Prince or Michael Jackson or like you think of women like Tina Turner or all these like blues singers that, you know, weren't worthy of covering and I have to and I also have to tell you this incident in high school Ben when I was in high school um we had our history teacher who was a great history teacher by the way and we started talking about rock and roll and he said that the British people invented rock and roll and then I said I remember we got into this debate and I'm like no I was like his name was Mr. Moshak and I'm like no Mr. Moshak I go, Amer- I go, Americans, black Americans created rock and roll. And then he goes, yeah, Elvis. And I'm like, no, I go, Elvis did not create rock and roll. I go, do you know this? I mean, I, this is my history teacher. And so I just think there's like a lot of misinformation and, you know, people who have a certain viewpoint or a ver- worldview, like we're, we're realizing this now as like, you know, Americans, it's like we have always looked at the lens of culture through the lens of mostly white people. Right. And, you know, that's why I grew up (laughs) All my musical taste. Mick tells me that my musical taste is all white males, but I'm like, this is what I was, I go, this is what I was exposed to as like, you know, my parents are immigrants. They weren't listening to rock and roll. I was listening to what, you know, kids in my suburb were listening to. So those, that's the kind of music I was exposed to, but you know, and that's a lot of the music that I like, but I'm not like ignorant to the fact that there's a history there that's been ignored. And um, I just think it's just part of our culture that's perpetuated this myth and ignored a lot of people who invented, you know, important, like, you know, cultural ideas, you know, cultural, um, you know, a lot of cultural and a lot of like, even, you know, just not just music, but just like in terms of like, you know, history, science, there's been a lot of, a lot of people in this country have been ignored because they weren't white. And I know you're going to laugh at me, Ben, but I, I was watching this documentary on the supermodels of the 80s and 90s on Apple TV. <laughs> I am laughing. And so Naomi Campbell, no, I'm just saying this is an example of like our culture. And this is what I grew up in. And we didn't have the language for it then. But Naomi Campbell is one of the really, she was one of the four that are highlighted in this um in this uh, show, in this docu-series, and she pointed out, like, you know, she would not be used in a runway show. If there was already another black woman um, in, in that show, she would not be used. So this is, this is, like, not that long ago, Ben. This is how I came of age. And she was talking about how, like, even the fashion industry, so now she kind of focuses on the fashion world in the Middle East, Africa, and India. She said that she tries to go and find designers in those countries. And she goes, you know, I was part of the problem too. Like we only thought that there was only certain countries, Europe, you know, which is like mostly at that time, white centric designers, like they were the ones that were valued. And so they kind of touch upon this. And so this is just a, this is just a microcosm of the problems in our larger country that we're only scratching the surface of. And like, people probably think Jan Wenner's like this really cool guy, but it's like, just because he like writes about rock and roll, but he carries the same ideas as you mentioned, Ben, in your column. It's like a MAGA type of attitude. And, 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 and a lot of people who, you know, think, because they're not politically right. They don't think they have these blinders on. But a lot of people have these blinders on, Ben. I mean, I know because I'm not part of the larger mainstream culture. And, and you know, we have to always kind of swallow or kind of soak in a certain type of culture. Or, you know, things are only acceptable when it's acceptable in the mainstream culture, i.e. white America. You know, you think about slang terms, you know, 
things, slang terms, fashion, they only start becoming, they only start getting embraced until they're embraced by a white culture. So it's just the lens that we're looking at. And he's just defending, he's just one of those boomers who cannot believe that his ideas are being challenged or that he's not always right or his taste is not, what he's saying is not always on point. And it's just offensive that he uses the word articulate for, you know, women and black artists. It's just, it's just really offensive. And I don't know how someone who claims to be like an expert on rock and roll can ignore the fact that women or, you know, like even like, you know, if he's even in look, if even if you look at like white women, there's a lot of there's a lot of white women that's, you know, it's Janis Joplin, you know, I guess Joan Baez is like, you know, part Latina, like, how can you forget their contributions to like that boomer generation as well, or Joni Mitchell, as he dismissed. So I don't know. I just think it's it's just that we're only trying we're only scratching the surface of the way that we've looked at things for a long time. And a lot of things, a lot of people's biases are coming to light these days. And it doesn't matter what aisle of, you know, politics you are. A lot of people do have these ideas and they don't realize that they're carrying a lot of these white supremacist ideas with them. Uh, or do they care? Apparently, uh, I, yeah. I, I got I have to make a clarification here. Uh I have to make this clarification. Um, I love the Beatles. Okay. I love the Beatles. As time goes on, I love them more and more. I'm not ashamed of it. I know it's baby boomer. I don't care. I love the Beatles. And just because Jan Wenner, who's a complete idiot, also likes the Beatles does not mean I don't like the Beatles. It's possible that Jan Wenner may have a shred of good taste. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I like, uh, I, yeah. I, I, I just adore the Beatles and I yeah. have to tell you the reason why I like the Beatles is because I discovered them. Me and my older sister discovered them when we were little on a cartoon. And so he could, you, two things could be true. He could like some of the bands that you like. Yeah. And he could be a complete idiot. And he could be, uh, 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 okay. And I will say this. I put this in my column. I had fun with this. I wrote a column about this. I had this dream. And it's actually true. I had this. I'm, I mean, I'm not even sure it was a dream or like I was thinking about it. I was lying in bed thinking about uh, just general. So I don't know if I was asleep when it happened. But I had this imaginary scene. So just so you know, uh, in his interview, this all became from an interview that John Wenner did to promote this a worthless piece of trash called The Masters, uh, sucking up to rock stars. And uh, how he made his fortune, but there's higher standards for uh, Taylor Swift co- reporters. Apparently, just have to report repeat that point again. So it was a uh, the New York Times reporter, give whoever it was credit. I wish I knew your name. Asked him why you only have uh, uh, white men in your book, The Masters, uh, and then he denigrated threw Joni Mitchell under the bus, Stevie Wonder under the bus, and you know, well, I don't know if they're articulate enough. Uh, and I just had this notion, like at a party. And it would be Bruce Springsteen, Mick Jagger, and Bob Dylan, all of whom are in this worthless book, going up to Stevie Wonder and Joni Mitchell at this party and apologize and go, just because we're in this stupid book by John Wenner, who's an idiot, does not mean we share his beliefs and try to try to get out of it, you know, because they look bad. Bruce Springsteen, I hate to say it. Uh, Mick, <laughs> he looks bad because his name is on this worthless book. Yeah, but Bruce Springsteen, if you know anything about him, I mean, he speaks out like against like he he spoke out about the Muslim ban. Like if you see him in concert, he he's definitely not someone. That, no, he's look, not a yawn winner. Okay. I don't think I don't think any of those musicians do. Um, you know, we obviously know some Rolling Stone songs that have been canceled because of certain lyrics. But, um, you know, I don't think any of those, you know, they're not Eric. I don't know. Was Eric Clapton in there? Like unless Eric no, Clapton. No, that worthless was, guy is not in there. No, not, but I don't think, yeah, I don't think those musicians necessarily like, um, you know, hold the same ideas that Jan Wenner does. And one of the things is like, you know, the Rolling Stones have always said that the Chicago blues, which is obviously, you know, has its root in black Chicago. Um, they've always given them credit. I mean, I know there can be arguments that they culturally appropriated a lot of like, you know, blues music and, you know, I guess, you know, borrowed some of their ideas, but they have always credited 
you know, yeah, they took Chicago. their name, the Rolling Stones. They took their yeah, name. From you know, they, yeah. yeah but they, they would, they would come to Chicago and they would, you know, they pay their respects um, to a lot of these um, singers. My brother-in-law is a, a doctor in Chicago and we always have the story. We're still mad at him because he doesn't remember which blues singer there was, but there was, he had a patient who was a, like an old blues singer and he 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 said that Mick Jagger came to visit him when he was like on his deathbed or just really sick. And we're like, why didn't you, we're like number one? Why didn't you stay to see Mick Jagger? <laughs> and number two, we're like, who was it? And he still doesn't remember. He's like, I just remember like I was told that Mick Jagger was flying in just to see this guy. So you know, there's I mean, there's some. I, I'm always going to be a Beatles fan. And I'm always going to say the Beatles were more superior than the Rolling Stones, but um, you know. I, I think some of those musicians did did give credit to um, their you know the, those who influenced them, which included you know the black Americans who created rock and roll, the roots of rock and roll. All right, fair enough. I can't blame them for being in this book. All right, uh, let's move on to the final item of, of about journalism, which I I don't think you've written about yet. Uh, you may write about it in the future. Uh, and you are the one who alerted this to me. And then I became one of my mini obsession deep dives that I've known to do from time to time. It was the first time I even talked about it. The comedian uh, Hassan Minhaj, uh, and he was essentially outed uh, in the New Yorker magazine on an article that you sent to me. Thank you for sending it to me. Uh, and um, so why don't you just give some background on this artist? This is a f- I think this is a fascinating uh, discussion and debate about what, how far comedians can go in making stuff up, particularly comedians who claim uh, that this is going to sound contradictory, uh, that the truths they're telling are themselves rooted in truths. So you're telling the truth. You're exposing light. Uh, you're exposing your light on all kinds of injustices and inconsistencies, and etc. And you're supposedly basing it on things that are true. And then it turns you're making up stuff. I'm like, I'm confused, Ramana. Help me out with this. Uh, take it away. Yeah. So if any of your listeners um, have followed this, Hassan Minaj is a popular um, Indian American Muslim comedian that's really kind of gained prominence in the last few years. He had a popular show on Netflix called Patriot Act. And what he would do with uh, on that show is he would take a topic and it usually was a news related topic. And he would talk about this topic and, you know, he would back it with um, journalism and fact checking. And so I, I was I was a huge fan of the show. Um, and then he had uh, two specials that came on. One, I think, was called The Homecoming King. And I, I love that special. And then he had another one that just came out. Um, I want to say less less a couple months back. I, I, I love that one, too. Um, and so I've always been a fan because there's very few, um, I guess there's very few Indian Muslim celebrities who really like get it right. Like he, he, like, he really, like a lot of the things he talked about is things that I can identify with as a brown Muslim. Um, he uses, uh, the, the language that, you know, I can speak at home. He's, you know, it's not like he shies away from his identity, which I think a lot of, um, South Asians and or Muslims, um, celebrities have to do, or they do it. They pretend they're like, well, I'm not like that. I'm the cool Muslim. And, you know, I just can do that. And so I always thought Hassan Minaj was a real deal. Like he talked about things that really affect our community and you know he talks he talked about the racism that muslims face and um the thing is and so like this new yorker piece came out i want to say about a week and a half two weeks ago and a friend of mine who's a journalist um also uh she's a bangladeshi american uh journalist and she sent me the article and she goes what do you think about it i didn't even know the article came out because i was so busy writing my article about <laughs> my column about taylor swift and the beyonce beat and so I was like, what is this? And then I was like, you know, I was vacuuming and I was kind of glancing at my phone and reading the piece and my heart sank with every single word. So it turns out that a lot of the stories that he tells about himself and about these serious topics, it turns out that they're all lies. And he, you know, he, this New Yorker reporter asked him about it and he basically says, well, they're emotional truths. 
so and he and he said that he embellishes um you know his comedy like a lot of comedians do now the one thing that i think is different than what he's saying and you know other comedians it's one thing if a comedian's talking about a date they went on or the me- a meal they had but Hasan Minhaj was actually using real people for his stories. So one of the stories that he fabricated was um, he talked about when he was a teenager that there was this man who um, came to their mosque and, you know, il- infiltrated their mosque. And he was really an agent, FBI agent, I think FBI agent. And he was trying to get, you know, all these teenage boys to, like, work out with him. And he has he wove this whole story about how and this is a real guy this is a real guy that um you know that was you know there were stories about this guy and so he talked about how this guy went to his mosque and his dad was so impressed with him and he's like oh us teenagers were totally onto him that he was like this informant trying to get us to say crazy things and try to like you know and then you know it's like this whole story and then like you know it turns out that never happened and and it's just like you listen to something like that and you're like how do you like make lies about something that really does happen to people? And so, I don't know, to me, that's a little different than making up some story about you going out and not naming any people like, you know, he, and then he talked about how he got an envelope in the mail because a lot of the things he talks about, like a lot of the political controversy that he talks about. And he said that he got a letter in the mail and it had anthrax in it. And then his daughter was exposed to it. And then how he rushed her to the hospital and how his wife was so upset. And she's like, I will leave you if you ever put our family in danger again because of the things you said. It turns out none of that ever happened. And so this is like serious stuff. And so like we've been there's been a lot of debates. There's a salon article that was just shared with me a few minutes ago, right before I came on about like, what are the motivations of a white woman trying to fact check a brown Muslim man? And, you know, we a lot of us kind of like I have to tell you, a lot of us were kind of hoping, hoping it was something like that. But we feel like a lot of my friends, especially brown journalists, are like, okay, you could raise questions about why him, why did you pinpoint him? But the thing is, a lot of his stories and the whole thing, his whole shtick was that he has integrity and then he uses facts and journalistic facts to back, you know, the things that he presents. And so it, it it's hard because he's, he's, these are not like, jo- you know, he makes jokes about these like situations and stories that turned out to be lies. But then they end up being like fabrications involving real people. And it's like he he talks about his wife. So his wife never really got mad at him. So she's like part of the hoax, you know. And, um, you know, in his first special, he talked about a woman he knew in high school. And that was really hard because, you know, he had a picture of her. And he basically talked about how he, re- you know, she rejected him. And, you know, because of his, you know, because he was South Asian. And there was this whole story. And then, you know, the whole, like, I guess the the upshot of the joke is that she ended up marrying another Indian guy. And then, you know, and, and the woman said that, you know, she was harassed, you know, by other people and accused of being a racist. And she goes, it actually didn't even happen that way. And so you're actually kind of, making up you know you're using people's names you're using like you know there's doctor texts involved and so because he presented himself as someone in someone with integrity um i think a lot of people are disappointed um you know i you know he's still a finalist i think he's one of three finalists for the daily show i i saw an article after the new yorker piece came out that he's still one of three finalists but I think there's just a lot of questions that people have and they don't necessarily buy his excuse for making up those um, stories. I just think there's a difference. Like one of my, my older sisters, like, well, a lot of celebrities kind of make things up, but we're, me and my other siblings are trying to tell her, we're like, yeah, but the thing is like, he was talking about very serious things that do happen. And this just kind of fuels like, you know, the um the MAGA types who are like oh so he was just lying about this happening to him and these things do happen you know we hear about young men getting like entrapped in these cases by FBI agents who kind of go them on and and there's a lot of cases like that and and it's like how could you just make something up and I I, I bought all the stories too and so 
um, you know, I think a lot of us are talking about it and a lot of my friends are disappointed. Um, they just feel like let down because like I said, we have so little representation. And so when we do have someone that represents our community, you know, we don't want that person to be making things up because it's like, there's so few brown Muslims out there who really represent our stories. You know what I mean? I mean, there are a lot of, there's like, there's more, it's more popping. You, you could be cool like an Indian, but there's a lot of people that we look at and we're like, oh, so one of those Indians that are like made for white people. Like, you know what I mean? To the white people laugh at that person. But Hasan Minaj was someone that all brown people, like you'll go to shows and it's not like, you know, mostly white people laughing at a brown man's jokes. It's like, it's a lot of people of color at his shows. And so the disappointment is there. I don't know. I'd be curious, like, to he- I'm sure he's going to respond to this in a different way. Like maybe he'll do a stand up special on it. But, you know, I didn't really buy his um, excuses in the New Yorker piece. And as soon as I get off, I'm going to read the salon piece and I'll send you the link to the salon yeah. piece. And mine just sent to me if you. Uh, uh, yeah, you I um my my initial response uh, reaction to all this was you could have done uh, a great routine about the FBI infiltrator without pretending as though he, uh, he infiltrated your select group of friends and that you had an encounter with him. That's a very real thing. And you detract from the very real thing by including yourself, imposing yourself in the situation. You weren't there. So you take something that's very real and you like dilute its meaning and its message. So I think he did a disservice to actually the point he was making by fabricating. Now people go, oh, you can't believe this. You can't trust anything. You know, I'm like, oh, my God, man, dude, how could you do this, man? Uh, there was a funny bit. Uh, there was there was a, uh, like I said, uh, Ramona, after you got me going on this thing, I took the deep dive. I was reading everything about it. Uh, so one of the writers, I think it was the New York Times guy. I had a lot. It was. Uh, it was a. I don't re- recommend reading the actual article because it was typical New York Times stuff. But anyway, I had this one funny line uh, where he said, "You know, comedians exaggerate all the time." So, like Rodney Dangerfield always said, "I never get no respect." Well, he actually got a lot of respect, Rodney Dangerfield. But no one's worried that Rodney Dangerfield. You know, but he's that's just a comic bit. You know, uh, exactly. It's a like, bit, a bit, a bit is different than like real life situations. You know, bits. You can, you, you know, there, we know the difference between bits and, uh, like, you know, you're actually, you're using your daughter to like, you know, perpetuate the story that I thought happened. And you're like, oh my God, because you're exposing what happened in Saudi Arabia. Like, you know, you're, you're getting threat, you're getting threats here and your daughter is getting exposed to anthrax. And that's like, I don't know. I just find that it's just very disturbing to me. So, you know, I want to read the salon piece. I, I am probably, I don't know if I'm going to weigh in on it. Um, I, I just, I, I just, I, I, it's just very disappointing as, as someone who's like a brown Muslim and someone who's South Asian. I just, I just took it, a lot of us took it really like more seriously than you think. And, you know, I know there's a lot of phonies in this industry, but you're kind of hoping that your guy or your woman is like, well, please, like, you know, wow, you're like really representing us. And then you're like, oh, not this. I'll close with a, uh, Pop question for you, and I do not know the answer to this. Uh, I wrote it down when you said it. He's one of three finalists to replace Trevor Noah as the host of. Who are the other two of the Daily? Uh, I have no idea who the other two was. I just remember seeing an article. I think it was Rolling Stone right after the New Yorker piece came out, and they basically said that um, sources said that Hasan Minhaj is still going to be one of three. He's still being considered as one of. He was good. Finalists. I watched all of it because I subscribed to the you know on uh, yeah, and yeah. Uh, on Instagram, and I'm always sending of these clips of these people from Instagram. I think she's probably subscribing to the same things I am. But anyway. No, I, I, I probably watch the same comedians you do. Yeah, so. we watch the same comedians. This one comedian that Romana sent to me, ladies and gentlemen, is hilarious. Uh, what What's his... <laughs> It's like Ahmed Weinberg. Ahmed Weinberg. It's like pronounced like a little differently, but it's he's basically a a Muslim first name and a Jewish last name. Hilarious. So Uh, Ahmed, and then it's like so his his dad was a 
was converted to Islam from Judaism. Yeah. And Islam is a cat is it was converted from Catholicism to uh Islam. So he he has an interesting background. So he's basically like you know, he was raised Muslim by two uh converts, one yes. uh, former Catholic and one uh former Jewish, Jewish Hilarious. Person. His thing about uh when you call the house uh and <laughs> Just folks, you got to hear him. I, I don't know. He just, he, he really made me laugh. I've watched it like 10 times. I've said it to uh, so many uh, people. But I was saying, uh, I've, I followed when Trevor Noah stepped down, they had all these uh, comedians stepping in for him. Uh, and I think uh, uh, Minaj did a really good job. But I, the one, the one that got me, the one I'm rooting for is Leslie Jones. I thought she was absolutely hilarious. She just so different. And uh, I hope I was hoping you were going to say she's one of the finalists, but uh, oh, I don't know. I, she could be. I, I was just like, you know, I didn't even read the whole article. I just like saw that they're still considering him as one of the finalists. Um, I mean, if you told me this before the New Yorker piece came out, I'd be like, oh, he's he's a shoe in, you know. But I don't know. I don't know. And, what and you know who else is funny? Chelsea Handler. Oh my God, is she? I, you don't I, like? I, oh. I, okay, <laughs> I like Chelsea Handler. But I have to tell you, like, so she was dating the guy from E or something. Like, she was dating some executive, and that's how she like kind of got her. Like, I don't know. She's kind of like she's not. She's kind of like a nepo. Like you know, I don't want to say nepo baby because it's not like she had. But she was dating someone that was famous or ran like some executive at one of these TV state TV like Comedy Central or something. And she can be funny sometimes. But, oh my um, god, you're coming close to hating. Just saying, coming close no, to I, hating. I, I, Probably like Hasan Minaj better, but um, did you see her? Did I send you some of her bits? She was funny. No, I, she's always, I mean, she's always in her face. Like she had a yeah. whole show on Comedy Central, so it's not like you know. I mean, I love Trevor Noah. I mean, um, well, he, yeah, he's. Yeah, he, I mean, I thought he was hilarious. I, it's I gonna be really him. hard to replace that guy because he was so gifted. He was. He's uh, yeah. so gifted, and you know, he's someone that's like very smart too, and he uses facts to back his. Yeah. Um, yes, but you know. Like I said, there's a difference between a bit and, uh, you know, you placing yourself in these serious stories. And, and to prove your point, I'll close with this. Trevor Noah wrote a biography. It's a bestseller about growing up uh, an interracial kid in South Africa. And it's a huge bestseller. It's been out for, I don't know, three or four years, something like that, Romana. I don't know of anybody who has dug up evidence that he made any of that up. He told his life story and he told it as accurate as any memoir I believe is. And so it's possible to do comedy uh, and make points without just making stuff up. Uh, exactly. Yeah. And I have to tell you as someone who's South Asian and, uh, and Muslim, I mean, I, none of the kind of stuff that Hassan Minaj talked about happened to me, but I have so many stories that I could say. And I mean, they're hilarious. I mean, people probably don't believe what I when I say to people like, you know, my experiences as a brown person, like and things that have been said to me. I mean, to this day, I mean, you don't need you don't need to make up stories to like have something rich to tell people just in this episode. And not telling you what to do for a column, but thus this just in this episode, your story about a high school teacher that you encountered who told you that British people invented rock and roll is worthy. Okay, is worthy uh, of a column. You like it's really funny. Like I, I, you know, I, I think that I grew up in modern times, but then I look back and the things that were said and that was considered normal. Now it's like I, I was. I always tell Mick, I'm like. You know, we never had the language and I'm glad we have the language now because there's so many things that happened to me and I just didn't know, like I didn't, <laughs> I didn't know what white privilege was when certain people could say things and nobody would say things. And, and it's just, it's just amazing. I, I, that's what I'm saying. I could write, I could write, uh, I could write a book and I'm not even anybody famous and I could write a book, but Trevor Noah's great. And I have to tell you, he has, a, and I'm sure you read in his book, but, or he, and it, I know in his bit, cause my siblings, some of my siblings went to his show, but he has a lot of South Asian friends. So he knows a lot about Indian culture and he gets a lot of it right. And that's why I know Indian people love him. Yeah. And they his accent. I mean, he, the guy does the best. I mean, he does every accent in the world. He goes to New York. He suddenly could do a New York accent. No, he's true. <laughs> tremendously talented comedian. All right, Romana, uh, we could talk forever. It's pop culture. The two of us get going. 
going on this stuff. Uh, and so uh, I was wrong. She was right. One more time. It was the MTV Awards, not the Grammys, uh, where Kanye did his foolishness. And I think that's the one where a Barack, a President Obama called him an ass. I think that's right after that he called him an ass. So, uh, jackass, I think. A jackass. You're correct. Uh, once again, she's correct. I'm wrong. All right. That's uh, Thank you very much, Ramon. I appreciate you coming on the show every two weeks. All right. Thank you. All right. That's great. Ramon Hussein. I'm Ben Jarofsky. Take care, everybody. One, two, three, four. Those are numbers, but you already knew that. If you want to know what number you're going to pay each month for your car, use Kelly Blue Book My Wallet on AutoTrader. They're really good at numbers. AutoTrader. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.